Let's Fix Work is proudly sponsored by Ultimate Software. Human resources, payroll, talent management, they've got it all. Please visit ultimatesoftware.com to learn more. Work is broken, and so is the way you think about it. Host Lori Rudiman is picking up the pieces so you can take control of your career, put yourself first, and be your own HR. With the Let's Fix Work podcast, here's Lori. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Let's Fix Work. I'm Lori Rudiman. Today's episode features Jeanette Brunet, performance strategist, culture coach, wellness advocate, and founder of Path for Life. In this show, we talk about wellness, well-being, culture, and just taking care of yourself under difficult times when it's hard to make healthy decisions. In part one, Jeanette tells you the story of her mother. If mental illness has touched your lives, I promise you, you don't want to miss this episode. And in a special part two, Jeanette also sweetly talks about her father, who was also an executive headhunter. So this is a special and very human conversation. You don't want to miss any of it. So sit tight and I'll be right back with more Jeanette Brené and Let's Fix Work. Hey, Jeanette, welcome to Let's Fix Work. Thank you so much for having me. Now, I have a very strong Midwestern accent, and I would love for you to identify who you are and what you do and what you're all about in this world, beginning with the lovely way that you say your own name. So can you do that for us? I can do that. Jeanette Pony. I know it sounds really French, but I'm actually Danish. But my ancestors were French, so therefore I got this name. And I came to the States when I was 26 years old. And uh, my old life was about team development and leadership. And during my era here, I've gone through different iterations of my career. But now I help companies and people work better by being healthy at work and change the culture so that we have a culture that's based around care. Well, I love that. That's such a gentle and thoughtful way to think about work. And it couldn't be any less American. Most of us come to work and we're hard charging and we're go-getters. And that's not just America. That's the Western world. So you've got this idea about changing the nature of work. How's it working out? Actually... I know it sounds really soft, the care part, but care for me, self-care, for example, is not about being pampered and having massages and doing yoga, which is all great, but it's really about self-connection, self-awareness, self-responsibility, and self-expression. So it's actually a very active and engaged way of taking charge of our day, taking charge of our performance. And what I look at is rather what do we need so that we could be at our best rather than hanging back and feeling all cozy at work. That's all great. But yes, I agree. That's not how we work. And I don't think that's what anybody really wants from work. I think we go to work because we want to matter. We want to do something. We want to create change or we want to be part of something that's great. It's like, that is why we go to work. I think the reason why we get frustrated with work is because that doesn't happen for us. Yeah, I don't disagree with you at all. And I think we're both aligned on the idea that work is broken. And I love that you are putting the individual in the center of the solution. So maybe you can tell us how work is broken and how we need to rethink our role at work and our institutions in order to fix it. 
Yes, I think the first part is that we discount ourselves and how much value we have as human beings. I think the the real essence of the human resource that we have is our ability to be discerning, our ability to be creative, our ability to find solutions, our ability to communicate and connect. And we've gotten distracted by technology where we're just trying to work harder and faster to keep up rather than looking at, well, how do I actually use technology to support me in doing all these things I need to do rather than the opposite way around where we're trying to keep up with technology, thinking that it's technology that's running the game. It isn't. It's become that, but that's part of the problem is that we have a disconnected relationship to our own importance at work. So work is definitely broken. We have a misaligned relationship with technology and with our output and with what we do and our sense of purpose and maybe even a misalignment with our passion. What is unique about the approach that you're taking to fix work? I actually look at when you're saying purpose and passion, I really look at why we do what we do. Because I do believe that we choose where we want to work because there's something in it that speaks to us. I I believe that we go to work every day and we have relationships with those around us. And if those relationships don't work, we become sad, we become frustrated, we become depressed. And if we only focus on work as work rather than the reason why we work, we can very fast get sucked in to this production mode rather than connecting with why it really matters. And I think it goes all the way. I, you know, my background is marketing. And when I first started back in Copenhagen, I was put in the warehouse. Instead of the marketing department, they put me in the warehouse. They wanted me to learn what actually happens with all the people in the line of getting these products out so that I wasn't just sitting there figuring out some fancy marketing idea and then not actually considering how does the product get out the door. And I think if we actually have more relationship with the different aspects of what the company does and why they do it and how we fit in, like how we personally fit in, what are our added qualities that we actually have? So many people don't feel that they add anything to a company. And yet, if they left, a lot of people would be missed, right? Absolutely. I love that story that you started out in fashion and marketing by working in a warehouse. That's very similar to an experience that I had way back in the day in 1995. In my first job in human resources, they were like, you're not just going to learn HR, you're going to learn the business. And I worked at a candy company and they put me on the line to learn how extruders worked and panning machines worked and all sorts of goofy stuff. And as part of that, one of the things that I had to do was take out the piercings in my face because it was not compliant to be on the factory floor. And why I share that story is it gave me such a sense of the different ways that people work and why they work and the constraints around work. Here I was, this snotty college-age student, really just trying to have a job and pay off my student loans, working alongside individuals who are working night shifts, weekends at a candy factory just to provide for their families. And so it feels like such a privilege now to go to work and do a little bit of what I love. And for me, work is always work. But that experience on the floor sticks with me and it reminds me of the humbling aspects of work. And so when I think about fixing work, I know I have a little bit more opportunity, a little bit more freedom, a little more autonomy than the people on the candy floor. I don't know. What do you think about all that? That was a soliloquy, but fixing work seems to be a privilege in our society and maybe it shouldn't be. I actually have to say, I enjoyed my... I think I was there for like five weeks. I enjoyed it so much because people were engaged with each other. 
they talked, they sat down and had a coffee break together and they helped each other. And just the fact that they had a coffee break together also made them be like, so what do you need? Can I help you with anything? And it was just such a beautiful example of a place where we don't even focus on culture when it comes to those places. They exist there too. And it's this idea that we think that culture is this fancy thing with ping pong tables and beyond draft and has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the human to human connection and people actually being there for each other. And one of the things that we focused on when I was first in marketing was to look at each department as a client so that the way we engaged and interacted with each other was also in that mindset of service. Well, I love that. I think that's a really good observation and piece of advice, especially when there's horizontal envy or conflict at work to apply the methodology of service and really think about your colleagues as clients. And it really clears the fog and makes relationships a little bit different, doesn't it? It does. I think it really does. Because we normally look at a customer from the perspective of, I wonder what they need so that they can be happy. Right? That's part of the sales process in a sense. But what if we did that with each other at work? What if we even asked ourselves that? Well, I love where you're going with this because where you're going with this is really getting to the heart and the sickness and the toxicity at work. And so many of us are angry at our colleagues, angry at ourselves, angry at the world. And for whatever reason we're struggling in this lifetime, we take it and we act it out at work. And I've seen this happen as a human resources professional over and over again. So I wonder, what are your thoughts on what's making us sick at work and how do we overcome it? I think the first step is that we work on survival mode because we don't take care of ourselves all day long. That's just the basic 101, right? We don't drink water. We don't take our meals. And if we do, it's in front of the computer. We don't get our sleep, which is not at work, but still. And this idea that we're not even taking care of our most basic needs at work, that's sort of the first step to burnout. And yet there is so much more that stresses us, right? That's just the first step of stress. And so if we can at least do that, then we're physically able to not be so prone to burning out and being under that kind of a stress. Because when we're under survival stress, our cortisol levels are high, our anxiety is high. We look for what's not working instead of how to solve something. And that means that as it now affects our interaction with other people, it affects how we are as leaders. We don't pause to ask questions. Instead, we tell people what to do. So that sounds so simple, and yet it's so basic, and we don't do it. We talk about emotional intelligence. We talk about leadership skills. We talk about all those things. But if you're working on survival mode, it's very hard to access those skills. Yeah, that's so insightful. What really strikes me about your work is your connection between nutrition and wellness and how we show up at work. And I'm currently working on my second book right now. And in there is a chapter about how I didn't physically take care of myself. And when I would show up at work, boy, you could tell that I was in a weird state of dehydration and either over-sugared or undernourished. And it just really manifested itself in some really unhealthy ways. So can you tell me a little bit about your belief in the connection between nutrition and work and what you're doing to advocate for better nutrition? Part of it is that basic survival mode in the sense that we don't even have a routine for taking care of ourselves at work. And the other one too is that we are affected by what we eat in terms of our emotions. So it's both our physical energy, our emotional energy, and our mental energy. So if we eat high sugar, our blood sugar goes up and down. So does our mood. So does our energy. So does our attention. So does our focus. 
And we tend to, because we get tired, we go for sugar and it feels good too. So it's a little bit of, oh, this feels so soothing for a moment. And then half an hour later, we're snapping the head off of one of our coworkers. So it's very, very interconnected. And it's sometimes funny when I hear how people don't think that there is a connection between those. And then I'm sort of asking the question, what do you think happens to food once it enters your body? <laughs> yes. Like, what do you think we actually do with it? Because it doesn't just fill up our stomach. It feeds every single cell, including our brain cells. You must have sympathy for the person who's dealing with a toxic work environment. And the only thing that feels good is that afternoon Starbucks mocha frappuccino. I know. I was that woman. I was too. And I felt so powerless to affect change in my organization. But you know what I could do? I can go get a Starbucks. Yeah. Oh, felt great. What do you do with a woman like me? I mean, I had to hit rock bottom before I fixed my own life. I mean, I fixed work by fixing myself. How do we get people out of that cycle before they hit rock bottom? Do you have any advice for them or a story? I do because that's actually so many of my clients through these past 15 years of working with people, coaching, also consulting in companies, but coaching one-on-one has been a big part of my work. And I've really gotten to see the insights of the human struggle in terms of not being appreciated at work and what it does to our self-care. Because we go home and we just crash on the couch, ice cream in hand, whatever it is that happens and go back to work the next day and we're even worse. So part of it is to see our own ability to create change within our own how we feel. But it has to start with, it is tough. It is really tough because in that moment, we just want the immediate pleasure because we want to avoid the pain. But in that moment, if we can actually see, that is part of what we do as humans. We automatically try to avoid pain and find pleasure, but it's short-lived. And if we can at least have self-kindness or self-compassion for that moment and say, actually, what I really need right now is take a walk so that I can just get away from this and remind myself that I actually do matter. And that's why when I talk about self-care, the self-connection, self-awareness, self-responsibility, and self-expression is such a big part of building that muscle that helps us see ourselves for what we're really worth, rather than what we believe we're worth, which for most people at work feels like nothing. That really speaks to me. Wow. Jeanette, one of the things that I believe saved my life is mindfulness-based stress reduction. And that act of being mindfulness gave me a moment between my immediate feeling of being picked on or victimized at work, a second between that and my actions. So I know you're an advocate of mindfulness. Can you talk a little bit about what it is and the applicability for the American workforce or any workforce really? I call it if we could have a corporate culture, a company culture of pausing, what could change? Like if we could all just pause, because one thing is mindfulness, which is to pay attention to our own thoughts and our own feelings and then choose how to act instead. I actually call it my triple A. If you have a car, you know what triple A is and and all the kinds of it's coming to the rescue. But it's this idea that we first acknowledge how we feel. We accept what the situation is so that we don't get stuck in, oh, I wish it was different and if only so-and-so hadn't done so-and-so. But actually accept what's going on and where we're at and then choose how to take action. So doing that is part of mindfulness because it helps us just observe, think, feel, and then choose. And I think that's something we can use anywhere and everywhere 
especially at work, but everywhere in our lives. I think the mindfulness is the foundation for having a better life, but also working better, to be honest. Most of the people who come to mindfulness come at it through difficult circumstances. They have been tested. And I know that you have suffered with the impact of mental illness in your family. And I wonder if that experience, if you could tell us a little bit about it, if that experience, that journey has made you more passionate about mindfulness and the pause and nutrition and wellness, or where that really fits in with your journey to improve lives and improve the workforce. Yes, as a... Teenagers, probably when I first realized how much my mother struggled with mental illness and she was bipolar and never really got help because there was such a stigma around it that she believed that she would be deemed crazy and she didn't want to be what she said sent away. And so the understanding, of course, then, I, you know, we're talking a little ways back here. It was 70s, 80s, and 90s. But um, in the 70s and the 80s, like, this was not a conversation anybody was having at all. So there really was something you were hiding. And so as a young kid and as a young adult, I had to figure out how to make her happy, essentially. felt that was my job. And so what I early on realized was that the way she was thinking and her relationship with herself is what kept digging a bigger and bigger hole for her that she couldn't come back out of. So I always felt it was my job to help her see the other side of the coin or also see the best in herself. But it's very hard to say to somebody when they're feeling really horrible about themselves, oh no, you're great. So it wasn't this sort of superficial. It was more the yes and, I know you're feeling this way. And can you also see that you also have these qualities? So I feel like at a very, very young, early age, I became her therapist. She even said that to me sometimes. And what I still do today, and one of my fascinations is about how we both interact with ourselves from the perspective of how we feel and how much we actually choose unconsciously based on how we feel and how we want to feel. And so if I can help people be more aware of that, and the other is how our thoughts affect how we feel about ourselves and how we see the world. Because the conversation that she always has, which is she wasn't wanted. And after she died, uh, she died early from her breast cancer. After she died, I had a conversation with my grandmother about the incident called my mother. And my grandmother was, what are you talking about? I loved her. I wanted her. It wasn't because she wasn't wanted. I wasn't allowed to marry the man that I got pregnant with at the time because of my grandfather. So there was such a sad story behind all of this. And yet my entire life, my mother's entire life, she believes that she was an accident. And her perspective stayed that way because she didn't get the opportunity to ask more questions and actually see if that was true. And so I think that a big part of my work today is to help people ask better questions, really look for the truth rather than looking for what it is we believe is the truth and really ask both inside, but also of each other in in a way that's not confrontational. And that's why I call it the right why, because we tend to ask, why is this not working? Instead of asking, so I noticed this is not working. What is it that I'm trying to achieve? Why does that matter to me? And how can I get there? So I wonder, Jeanette, with that story that you've told, what impact that has had on your purpose in this world. I can see where you've developed a career 
to answer some questions and to be a leader, a steward, and to help people through difficult times. But I would imagine that you also have a passion for caregivers as well, being that you were a caregiver. And what I know about the workforce is that there is a majority of women in the workforce right now who are caregivers of both elderly parents and younger children, and they are struggling. They are struggling to thrive. And so I wonder how your message intersects and resonates with that audience. Yes, there's another story. After my mother died and my dad was sick with cancer, I got fired from my job. I was a VP of a fashion company. I got fired because they believed that then I wouldn't have enough time to take care of them if I also had to take care of my dad. That's a big reason why I do what I do as well is this sense of like, it's not about how much time we spend at work. It's the quality of the work, meaning how we spend our time. And that comes back to what matters to us in life, how we take care of ourselves, because that's how we bring attention with us to work. Rather than focusing on what might be some of the problems that we have to deal with, if that is not something we have to hide from our workplace, then it can be integrated. And instead of being preoccupied about what worries we have at home, we can help get help in solving them by communicating with other people and just even saying, I'm a little stressed out today. I'm going to need to just go take a break right now because so-and-so and so is happening at home. And if that was okay, then there's a good chance we would come back to work with our attention full on rather than feeling that we have to hide what's really going on. Well, I love this aspect of vulnerability that you're describing. And in many cases, people start and stop being vulnerable because of leadership and the messages that come from the top. So what is the role of leadership in fixing work and creating a less toxic and more engaging culture, climate, and work environment? I think that it starts with leadership embracing the same principles and recognizing that they have the same lives that everybody else has. They may be more privileged, but they still have the same human problems. They still have the same human needs. My dad always used to say to me, he, he was a headhunter and, and, or executive search consultant, and he always worked with only CEO and, and very high-level people. And I was listening in on a lot of his conversations, and they were so human. They were so human, always. That's how I grew up, listening to these human conversations with people that were top, top, top level in their organizations. And he always talked to me about how what they were struggling with was the exactly same struggles that everyone else normally struggles with. And so if we can allow leadership to even, I'm not saying to bring it with them to work and share it with everyone, but I'm talking about it as a place of understanding that we have human needs. And if we don't take care of those human needs, both at work and at home, we are not going to be thriving at our best, partly because we don't take care of ourselves and partly because our attention is distracted. And so if leadership can start out, like I've had a leader say to me, I don't want to take lunch. I'm too busy. And I was like, well, it would be a good idea if you did, because then I'm sure your people would too. And they were like, no, they don't care if I eat or not. I was like, let's try. Let's test. And sure enough, she came back to me and said, you know what? You were right. <laughs> After I started eating lunch, so did the rest of my team. Well, that's good. I love the impact between doing something and seeing it resonate full on in the workforce. I know as we wrap up our conversation, you're focused on changing lives and changing the world of work in a big way. And you've currently had some big audiences lately in terms of being upfront and present in the world of the United Nations. So can you tell us a little bit about what's going on there and how cool that is? I want to hear more. 
Yes, that was really cool. I've been lucky enough to have a couple of TEDx talks out as well. So I was invited to be on a panel at the UN and had not expected that it would have the kind of impact it did. But as I was sitting through the conversations that were happening that day, it was all about people that had taken action to create impact because they cared about something that wasn't working. And I was sitting there getting more and more fired up. My my activist soul got on fire and I was just like, yes, people need this. And even the opening statement that morning was somebody encouraging these young entrepreneurs to remember that self-care was the foundation for succeeding. And I'm sitting there going, yes, yes, I say the same thing. I agree. And I had just absolutely no idea that the whole day would be full of people really looking at how do we create better lives for everyone. And essentially, I believe we can. Well, we will make sure to link to all of your links with the UN and your TEDx talks and your wonderful book in our show notes. If you could leave our audience, our listeners with one message about who you are and what you do and how maybe they could work with you, what would it be? Well, I consult for companies. I coach workshops and groups. I do public speaking for conferences. So that is different ways that people can engage with me and learn some more about how they can create change. And I also do one-on-one coaching, especially within companies where they have a team of people that they want to have one-on-one coaching as well, but also one-on-one coaching with leaders who want to create impact in their own lives and affect other people. You can find me at JeanetteBonnet.com. And also I have a blog with a lot of resources, pathforlife.com. Excellent. Well, it was such a joy to get to know you and your story today. Thanks for being a guest. Thank you so much for having me. And everybody sit tight. We'll be right back right after the break with more Let's Fix Work. Hey, everybody. It's no secret that I love and believe in the future of human resources. More importantly, I believe in you. One way you can change the game for HR and for yourself is to focus on your continuing education. Ultimate Software sponsors free workshops around the country where HR leaders, recruiters, payroll professionals, and even consultants can earn free SHRM, HRCI, and APA credits. I've been to these Ultimate Software workshops. They're highly interactive, fun, and you'll learn a ton about the future of work and the world of HR. Visit ultimatesoftware.com forward slash LFW to learn more and to sign up for a workshop near you. That's ultimatesoftware forward slash LFW to find a workshop and earn recertification credits and stay on top of your game. That's ultimatesoftware.com forward slash LFW. And maybe I'll see you at a city near you. Welcome back, everyone. I promised you a special part two, and here's Jeanette talking about her father. Your story about your parents was so touching, and the way you spoke of your father was so loving. Like, it really stuck with me, hearing those human stories. He's a really big part of the way I see the world. When he was dying, he was also dying too early, and I was almost going to tell the story, but when he was dying, he started getting emails from people that he had impacted, and he had no clue. So like what kind of email? Emails that just because you sat there and listened to me, just because you sat and and talked to me, I made some big decisions in my life and took a change or took a leap of faith, or I wouldn't have been where I am today had it not been because of you. And some of them were people that he had put in jobs that really, really worked for them and resonated with them because he understood them as human beings. And other people were just people that he had paid attention to. And he had absolutely no clue. He did not know that that was the impact he had had. 
It was the most touching thing I've ever experienced was to sit and read those emails together. We were both crying because it was so beautiful and so touching. And I think it gave him peace at the end because he did not want to die. He was dying in his mid-60s. He was not ready. And, but it, I think it gave him a sense of having mattered, having achieved something that mattered. And that was just because he impacted people's lives. Well, that's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with me. That's really great. And it makes me think about as a recruiter myself, you don't realize how many lives you touch and where people go and how you impact their stories. And it's so nice that your dad had an opportunity to experience that at that point in his life. It's really sweet. Yeah. He had an amazing perspective on interaction with other people. Oh, well, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. He used to say he had an early experience where he had gone to the King's Palace in Denmark to install. He originally was a radio technician. So he was installing a new speaker system. And he told me the story that the king, after installing the speaker system, has said, so you mean no echo? And he's like, no, no echo. So the king of Denmark started going, playing train in the microphone. And it was just this human, human expression of joy. And it always stuck with me that we need to see that in human beings. And all of a sudden things change. Yeah, they really do. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jeanette Brené of Path for Life. We'll have links in our show notes to all of her speeches and her contact information. And I'd encourage you to go out and find Jeanette on YouTube and all over the web. As you know, Let's Fix Work is produced by Emerald City Productions. It's produced every week by Danny Osmond, and he makes the show sound great. I also want to take a moment and thank Ultimate Software for sponsoring Let's Fix Work. If you are curious about what podcast sponsorship is all about and what's involved in you know, our arrangement, or if you just want free training in HR with certification credits, click on ultimatesoftware.com forward slash LFW to learn more. Now that's all for today. And I hope you liked it. You can get us regularly delivered to the queue of your podcast platform by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever. And that way I can really see you next week on Let's Fix Work. If you're ready to make a real change in your workplace, start today by number one, subscribing to Let's Fix Work on the Apple Podcasts app or iTunes or Stitcher or Android or wherever you listen. Number two, write a five-star rating and review. And number three, share it with a friend, colleague, or coworker who you think would enjoy our episodes. All executives need to be podcasting. Podcasts are the number one way for executives to create an authentic and trusting relationship with employees and potential customers. That's why my producer, Danny Osmond, just did a three-part series on why executives should be podcasting. Want to give your company a brand or a face? Want to connect with current or future employees? Are you interested in pivoting out of your current position and into a new career or personal brand? Well, if you're an executive who is podcast curious, head on over to Dan dannyosmond.com forward slash executives and learn how a podcast builds credibility, how podcasting gives you a leg up against the competition, and how a podcast can power a speaking career and help you write a book. Don't worry about finding the time to listen. Each episode is less than 10 minutes and Danny has put all three episodes in one place. Head on over to dannyosmond.com forward slash executives to listen and find more resources. That's dannyosmond.com forward slash executives. 